Well, this morning we're starting, we're kicking off a brand new six-week series called Why God Became Human. And uh, we have actually a theme verse for our series. We don't normally have one, but we have one, and it's John 1.14. In John 1.14, uh, John the Apostle says that the Word, this is a metaphor for Jesus, the Word became flesh, God became human, and he dwelt among us. The, the message translation says that he moved into the neighborhood. I like that. God became flesh. He moved in the neighborhood, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so for these next six weeks, we're going to be answering, or answering the question, why did God become human? Uh, my youngest daughter, many of you know Maddie. She's seven years old. Uh, she has a physical disability. Maddie has cerebral palsy. And through a wonderful organization called Team Impact, she is an honorary member of the Syracuse Women's Lacrosse Team. Uh, she has a jersey, she has a locker, she goes to the games normally, and it's a really wonderful thing. And, and the team has brought our family in, and we've, we've struck up such great friendships with the players and with the coaches, and it's really a wonderful thing. Um, but during COVID, it's hard for us to see them. And so normally Maddie would be at the games, she would be traveling even to, to see them, and she can't do that right now. And so we came up with a way, because the team was like, we miss Maddie, we want her around. And so this week, a friend of mine made this for me, and uh, this is a cardboard cutout of Maddie. And you can see little Maddie next to her cutout. And uh, it's so cute. The team now has this, and they take this. They travel with this on their buses. They have this little cardboard cutout of Maddie. They bring her into their locker room and onto the field. And it's just a great way for us to still try to be a part of their team. You know, and as wonderful as this thing is, and it's really well done, and I should give a shout-out to my friend Matt McAfee, who owns a local business. He, he did all the signage in our lobby for us. He did this, and he did this for free for us, just as a gift. Um, as wonderful as this is, this is not Maddie, right? This is not her. This doesn't have her vibrancy, her life, her personality. This doesn't talk back to me like she does sometimes. <laughs> Uh, this is not her. But this morning, when we look at why Jesus became human, what we're going to see is that one of the reasons why Jesus became human was to be the exact representation of the Father. Jesus was not a cardboard cutout of God the Father. Jesus came to bear the image of God perfectly and completely so that we would not have to have any questions in our mind any longer about who God is, what he cares about, and what his values are. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is found in the New Testament. This was a letter that was written. It's really a very long sermon, longer than my sermon will be this morning. Um, and we don't know who wrote it for sure. Some people think Paul. I, I tend not to. Other people think Apollos or Priscilla, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, definitely written to a Jewish audience. And, and in verse 1, here's how it starts. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, anytime you see the phrase these last days in the Bible, it's any day after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. From the minute that Jesus ascended to heaven and then sent his spirit, we are now in the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint or the exact image or the exact representation of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this truth that Jesus came to be the perfect image bearer, to bear God's image perfectly. And we're going to see three reasons why he did this. And the first reason is this, that Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to show us the Father. Our church right now is reading through the New Testament in 90 days. We're almost a third of the way there, so let's keep going strong together. And this week we've been in the Gospel of John. And I don't know about you, but after reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's just different, isn't he? Just his take on things and his language and his approach to things. He's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you've been reading along this week, one of the things that you've noticed is that Jesus, as he's getting nearer to the cross... He's talking so much about his father, so much. There's so many wonderful verses where Jesus says, the father sent me, and I only do what I see the father doing, and I don't speak on my own. I speak as the father tells me to speak. Jesus came to reveal the father. In fact, here's one of those verses, John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said, truly, 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 truly simply means pay attention. I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but he only does what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does... The Son does likewise. Jesus came to show us the Father. And in Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it said, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Now, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, God is revealing himself to his people. You know, when God creates this world, Adam and Eve inherit this world, and they're walking in this world which is perfect and it's paradise, and God would actually come and he would walk with them and he would talk with them in the garden and he would dwell with them that way. But when sin entered the world, that was all lost. There was this immeasurable gap now between us and between God. And for the rest of the Old Testament, God sends prophets and priests and kings to try to reveal to the people who he is. He speaks, you know, in that video we saw in winds and tornadoes, in fires, from mountains, through written commandments, on tablets of stone. I mean, all these, through the tabernacle, through the expression of the sacrificial system, everything in the Old Testament is about revealing the nature of who he is. But none of those things on their own were sufficient. Jesus came to reveal the Father. I've had the opportunity to write a couple books, and if you've ever written a book, you know that uh, you, you, well, in my experience anyways, I, I wrote a chapter, it's called a rough draft, right, and then you send it to your editor, and then your editor sends it back to you and tells you why it's terrible, <laughs> and then you go back and forth like five or six more times, so eventually I say to my editor, why don't you just write the book then, if you got so many thoughts about it, but it's this process of trying to get closer to the final, the final output, right? And then you're all done with the back and forth and you have the finished product. The Old Testament, as wonderful as it is and as much as we need it, all those revelations of God in the Old Testament were surpassed by Jesus. Jesus is the final, full, great revelation of the Father. And if you think about the verses we just read, Jesus surpasses the revelations. He's greater, he's truer, he's better, he's more wonderful than the revelations of God in the Old Testament because he's the Son of God, he is the agent of creation, he is the very glory of God, he is the one who purifies from sin, and in all of this, he is superior even to angelic beings. And so Jesus came to show us the Father. 
And in verse 3, we learn something interesting about Jesus' relationship with the Father. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, which means they are of the same nature, one God. It's the radiance of the same glory. But secondly, what we see here is it's the exact imprint of his nature, which means they are distinct. And what the author of Hebrews is sort of pushing in on here is the mystery of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we sang about this morning, three in one. Same nature, same heart, one God, but distinct persons. And Jesus came as the radiance of the glory of the Father because they're one, but also as the exact imprint of his nature because they are distinct. And the Greek word for imprint here is actually the word uh, that we get the English word character from. So what this all means is that Jesus Christ came and he walked this earth and he did what he did and he said what he said to reveal to us the very character of God, the heart of God. Here's good news for you this morning. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You want to know what God cares about? Do you want to know how he feels about certain types of people? Do you want to know how God's heart is towards sinners and towards people who are broken? Do you want to know what God's plan is, what God's values are? You don't have to guess. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to wonder. Look at Jesus. Jesus came to reveal to us and show us the Father. He is the exact representation of God. The second thing here is that Jesus didn't just come to show us the Father, but he came to show us ourselves. When I was 18 years old, I was asked to be in my friend's wedding and uh, I remember uh, we were getting ready, we were lined up and getting ready to go into the reception after the wedding ceremony. And all of a sudden they began to say, hey, everybody, just so you know, when the bride and groom do their first dance, halfway through the song, they want the bridal party to come out and dance with them. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I didn't grow up dancing. I mean, I, did, I, I wasn't taught that dancing was a sin per se, but we were pretty sure dancing led to sin. So we didn't do a lot of dancing. Unless, unless the Holy Ghost hit you during worship service, there wasn't a lot of dancing in my home growing up. And so I didn't know the first thing about any type of dancing, let alone some sort of formal dancing in public in front of people. And I was sure everyone would be watching me. <laughs> And so I got out there, this poor girl, I don't even know her, and now I got to go out there and dance with her. And the entire time, which felt like a lifetime, <laughs> I didn't look at her once. She must have felt so rejected and abandoned. I didn't look at her once because the whole time, all I was doing was looking past her at other people, other dancers, other, other groomsmen who seemed to be confident and seemed to know what they were doing. And when you're in a moment where you don't know what to do, often what you do is you try to find somebody to watch who seems to know what they are doing. And when we try to figure out in our lives, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to live this life? We have such a gift in Jesus because in Jesus, he shows us what it means to be fully human. Jesus came not just as God, but as fully man. It says in the scriptures that he was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted, but without sin, that he's our great high priest who's able to sympathize and empathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And what a gift we have in Jesus that not only do we not have to wonder who God is, but we no longer have to wonder who should I be? How should I live? In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image. And what that means is that to be fully human, listen, to be fully human is to bear God's image well, to bear his image well. Sometimes people think, well, God just wants to get us out of this human experience 
into some sort of different. Ex- no, God's not trying to get you out of your humanity. He's trying to get you to live out your humanity in a full, healthy way that reflects his very image. And Jesus came, and with everything that he said and everything that he did, he was the perfect image bearer of God. And he showed us what it looks like to bear God's image. Of course, you and I struggle with this so much because of sin. And right from the beginning, sin mars our image. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the very first thing that is said is that they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. That's the first thing that happened after sin. Something about their image became problematic and shameful for them. And from that day forward, we've all dealt with that. One of my favorite athletes growing up was a tennis player, an American tennis player named Andre Agassi. He was just like the bad boy of tennis. And I remember going to Flushing to watch him play at the U.S. Open. And just this incredible athlete. He became this brand. He became this icon. And his slogan was, image is everything. And it resonated with people because everyone immediately said, I feel that. I feel that all the time, that I'm always trying to present a certain image. And now with social media, we're always trying to put out a certain version of ourselves, a certain version of our lives. And every conversation that we have, every new person that we meet, every opportunity that's before us, we're always sort of personally managing our image. How do we come across? And that's all because the image that God placed in us, his image has been broken and marred, ruined and tainted by sin. And so now we're looking for it everywhere. Our little puppy, Mickey, is about five months old, my favorite moment of the day with him is in the morning. Go downstairs, he's in his crate, and as soon as he hears feet, he starts whimpering and starts moving around, he starts getting excited. And I get to his crate and I open up the crate and he immediately runs straight out back and goes to the bathroom. And while he's outside going to the bathroom, I start to put his dog food into his little bowl. And then he comes running into the house and he just does this little like butt shake the whole time because he's like so happy and so excited. And he runs over to the food, but he wants to play too. And you can tell, like, internally, he's torn. This is Sophie's choice for Mickey, right? He's like, over here is food and over here is friends. You ever feel that, that, that tension? I don't. I don't. I always go to food. I always go to food. But Mickey is, like, running over. And so Mickey will eat some food, and then he runs over and, like, licks at me, just wants me to stay there. And then he runs back over to his food. And even as he's eating his food, he's kind of looking at me, like, don't go anywhere because I want to play. And he just wants it all at the same time. And the truth is, is that in life, because of what's happened to our image, the very image of God that's been placed on each one of you, because it's broken and marred and we're trying to piece it back together like Adam and Eve taking leaves and covering their nakedness, we run from place to place hoping to get our image from here. A good son, a good daughter, a successful student, a good athlete, um, a great dad, good wife, good career, wealthy, independent, strong. And what we're doing is we're trying to pull together an image of who we think we should be. But when we look at Jesus, we see this is who we were created to be. To be fully human is to be like Jesus. And there's three things that Jesus did that I want us to notice real quick. First thing is we have to, if we're going to be fully human and bear God's image well, we have to do good work. Do good work. Now, as you're reading the Gospels, as we've been doing as a church, it's interesting because with Jesus, you, you learn a little bit about his birth. You get a little glimpse of him when he's two, because that's, that's the story of the wise men. You get a little glimpse of him when he's 12, when he's in the temple, and then you don't see him again until he's probably 30 years old. And I don't know how, how you feel about that, but I sort of feel like son of God on earth, like really, for 30 years, obscurity, nothing, we don't know anything about you, what were you doing that whole time? 
And most people believe that Jesus was some sort of a woodworker or maybe a stone worker, that he did something with his hands and that he learned from his father Joseph how to make tables and how to make chairs. And I, and I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking, Jesus, listen, Jesus did not become the exact representation of the Father when his ministry began. Jesus was the exact representation of the Father for those 30 years too, when he was doing work that seemed mundane, meaningless, sort of out of the public eye, just building a sturdy table so the family can sit around it, have a meal, and love each other. You know what? It occurred to me that Jesus did good work for 30 years. And to do good work is actually to bear God's image well. When God created Adam and he put him in the garden, he put him there and he said, I have a job for you. I have work for you, something for you to do. Work is not a result of the fall. Hard work is, miserable work is, worshiping work is. But work was part of God's plan. He said to Adam, tend the garden, work the field, make culture. And that is still true for you and I today. Whatever God has given you to do, and I was writing down some things that people in our church do. We have teachers, we have doctors, engineers, bus drivers, chefs, factory workers, authors, CFOs, waiters, waitresses, people in sales. Some of you have told me what you do four times and I still don't understand what you do. But whatever it is that you do, when you do it with excellence, and when you do it to glorify God, it's just as much worship as what we just did in this room. It's just as much worship as standing and singing because worship is not singing primarily or only. Worship is being who God created you to be and God created you to bear his image. And in Genesis chapter one, the first thing we learn about God is that he's creative and that he's working. And so if you're out there swinging a hammer, do it to the glory of God. It's worship. Do good work. That's how you bear God's image well. If you're serving patients, if you're teaching students, if you're cleaning up our streets, whatever it is you're doing, when you do it with your heart in the right place and for, with excellence and to the glory of God, you're worshiping God. You're bearing his image well. Don't separate sacred and secular that there's things that I do that belong to God and there's things that I do that he doesn't care about. He wants to be Lord of it all. And we don't separate this from that. It's all, it can all be worship. Do good work. The second thing that we see in Jesus' life, and isn't this so evident as we've been reading the Gospels as a church? He builds deep relationships. Listen, if Jesus didn't go it alone, what chance do you think you have? <laughs> what chance do I think I have? Jesus didn't try to do this alone. He built a community around him. And it was a messy community one of the strongest evidences for the reliability of the New Testament is that the people who wrote it look stupid in it. <laughs> there actually is a law called the law of embarrassment that the more embarrassing it is, the more likely it's true if the person is, the self, is, is revealing it. And when you read the Gospels, you realize Peter can't stop putting his foot in his mouth. James and John want to burn people. You know, you know Judas becomes who he, who he is. Thomas doubts. All these people abandon Jesus at the cross. And yet Jesus gave his life to them for three to three and a half years. Because he believed in relationship. And if you're going to bear the image of God well, you're never going to be able to do it isolated or on your own. And I get that it's hard and I get that it's messy and I get that people have been hurt in the past by other people and by churches and by relationships. And I understand that and, and I'm sympathetic to that. But the answer is not to withdraw. The answer is to re-engage trusting in the truth that to be fully human is to build these deep, meaningful relationships. If your engagement with community, whether it's this church or any other community that you're part of, if it hasn't cost you something, it may not actually be community. It may just be convenient. It's going to cost us something. You want to be a part of our church family? Believe me, someone's going to annoy you eventually. 
Someone's going to offend you. It'll probably be me because I'm the one talking the most. Somebody's going to step on your toes. I get it. But that's what it looks like to do life together and to build meaningful relationships. And the last thing that we see here, Jesus gives sacrificially, his sacrificial love. Everything Jesus did, it cost him. Everything he did was on the way to the thing he came to do, which is to give his life for us. Lastly, this morning, and the band's gonna come up, we're gonna sing, not just to show us ourselves, but also to show us himself. You know, in this text that we read from Hebrews, there's this interesting phrase in verse three. It said that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's like one of those phrases you just might skip by, but you shouldn't. Jesus Christ upholds the entire universe. Now our galaxy, this Milky Way galaxy that seems so large and significant is just one small part of the entirety of the universe. And somehow Jesus upholds it all simply through the power of his spoken word. This is who Jesus is. Jesus came to reveal himself. And in this text, we see Jesus in his power and in his strength. My spoken word, I can't even get my dog to listen to me. You know, my spoken word, I can't get my kids to do something that I want them to do. But Jesus' spoken word is powerful enough to sustain and strengthen all of us and to hold the whole universe together. And when Jesus came to earth... We got glimpses of that sort of power, (laughs) just glimpses, when he would speak life into someone, when he would open up the eyes of a blind person, when he cast out legions of demons out of a man who hadn't been free in years, when he turned water into wine, when he walked on water, when he broke the bread and gave thanks for it, and thousands of people were fed through five loaves and two fish. We got all these neat glimpses of the power of Jesus, but you know what? I'm so thankful he didn't just come in power. Because if he just came in power and rolled up his sleeves and showed us his skills and his abilities and what he could do and then left, we'd be so hopeless. We'd have a great example, but we'd have no power. We'd have this tremendous person, but we'd have no hope. But Jesus didn't just show himself in strength, he showed himself in weakness. And we see him in the garden, in one of his most human moments. Father, if there's any other way, let's do it. But not my will, but your will be done. We see Jesus suffering at the hands of Roman soldiers, whipped across his back, crown of thorns pushed into his skull, carrying a cross across, across his broken back, his splintered back, all the way to a hill where his hands and his feet were nailed into a cross. That's not power. No one looked at that and thought, look at all his power. That's weakness. But he showed up in weakness, and here's what happened at the cross. The perfect image bearer of God allowed his image to be torn and marred and broken so that our images could be restored, so that you and I could bear God's image well. On the cross, Jesus' physical image was torn, but also his spiritual image. This is what I mean. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who never sinned to become sin. Here's what it means. On the cross, the sinless son of God who never did a single wrong thing, who never said a single wrong thing, who loved people and served people with all of his life and all of his energy and all his strength, he became all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our shame in that moment. Why? 
the verse said it, so that he could provide purification for our sins. Jesus purifies us from our sins because he became our sin, our substitute. He endured in our place what we deserve because we can't keep God's image well. He did it for us. And here's what happens. When that truth begins to work its way into your heart and it begins to melt and move your heart, you're gonna look for every opportunity to live a life that images God well, that bears his. You're gonna look for people to serve that you thought you could never even talk to. You're gonna find yourself loving people that you used to block on social media. You're gonna find yourself being more generous than you ever thought you could possibly be. You're gonna find yourself caring less about the values of this world and the stuff of this world and the treasure of this world and you're gonna find your heart fixed and focused on Jesus who came to earth to reveal to us the Father, to reveal to us ourselves and to reveal to us himself. Let's pray.